Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Join News Prime Headlines is brought to you by... Don't take risks. Use a condom every time. And thanks to Malatu, I kicked out Malaya one time. Some spices. Yes, sir. Live on DSTV Channel 421, Go TV Channel 125, and on myjournalline.com and all our social media platforms. This is Joinees Prime. I am MFA Apau. In our lead stories in this bulletin, Commission on Human Rights and Administrative Justice to invite Professor Kobna Frimpomwatin to assist with investigations into allegations that politically connected individuals stifled the Galamsey fight. We'll get to hear from Shraj as it insists the failure of South Dai MP to finish it with evidence will not affect its probe, but there are practical challenges. Ghana loses more than $10 billion to violence as the latest Global Peace Index indicates that due to external and internal conflicts, the world has become a more dangerous place. And we know that the country has slipped two places on the index. We'll give you details shortly of that. Also, multiple legal and administrative processes set in motion to have a new judge handle the trial of minority leader Kesel Latoforsing as the current judge is accused of bias. Details for you as the Chief Justice begins a probe into the matter. An F dams constructed under the One Village One Dam project in Bongo cannot hold enough water to be of use to residents during times of dire need. At the top of the hour, we have Prime Business with Pius. Business groups mount pressure on government to use the media budget review, reviewed some of the taxes on, introduced in the 2023 budget. The three taxes that was introduced, the effects of the HM rates uh, uh, the last quarter of 2022, which made businesses suffer and all that. The other measures like the benchmark reversal policies and all that have made uh, uh, doing business very extremely uh, difficult. Must be with Prime Sports. Well, Ghana is set to battle it out with Mali and four other African countries for a spot in 2026 FIFA World Cup. We'll bring you reaction and analysis following the draw. This is your home of independent, fearless, and credible journalism. Please do stay on for details. Prime Headlines was brought to you by Don't take risks. Use a condom every time. And thanks to Malatu, I kicked out Malaya one time. Some spices. Yes, sir.
Many thanks for sticking with us. Now, Ghana has lost over $10 billion to violence. That's according to the Global Peace Index Report 2023, with the global economic impact of violence currently at $17.5 trillion, nearly 13% of the world's GDP. Ghana, for the year under review, lost 3% of its GDP to violence alone. The report notes that due to external and internal conflicts, the world has become less peaceful in, la- in the last 15 years alone. My colleague, Mami Sinyamiche Thompson, looks at the ranking in the following report. The 17th edition of the Global Peace Index covers 163 countries, comprising 99.7% of the world's population. The study was based on 23 qualitative and quantitative indicators from highly respected sources and measures the state of peace across three main domains, the level of societal safety and security, the extent of ongoing domestic and international conflict, and the degree of militarization. The report found that global peace had deteriorated by 0.42%. 84 countries had improved peace, and peace in 79 countries had declined. Iceland remains the most peaceful country in the world, followed by Denmark, Ireland, New Zealand and Austria. Afghanistan is the least peaceful in the world for the eighth consecutive year, followed by Yemen, Syria, South Sudan and the Republic of Congo. In sub-Saharan Africa, Mauritius is ranked the most peaceful country, followed by Botswana, Sierra Leone and Ghana in fourth place. Below the ladder is Cote d'Ivoire at 16th, Togo 19th, Nigeria comes in 37th and followed closely by Burkina Faso at 39th position. Sub-Saharan Africa recorded a slight fall in peacefulness with the average country score deteriorating by 0.57%. Of the 44 countries in the region, 21 improved in score while 22 deteriorated and one remained unchanged. The region is less peaceful than the global average on the safety and security and ongoing conflict domains, but more peaceful than the global average on the militarization domain. Meanwhile, the report states that Russia's invasion of Ukraine and its consequences were the main drivers of the deterioration in peacefulness globally. Both Russia and Ukraine are now ranked amongst the 10 least peaceful countries and Ukraine had the largest deterioration of any country in the 2023 Global Peace Index. Let's get a breakdown of the figures as worked on by the Joy Research Desk. And this is how it looks like. So $10 billion um, we are losing to violence. That's what we know so far. And we'll take a look at it over the last um, three years uh, from 2021 uh, all the way till now. So this is Ghana's um, 2023 rank world. It's um, 51st. So that's where we are. In Africa, we are fourth. And then and that's um, according to the Global Peace um, Report for 2023. That's what it looks like. So let's look at the description uh, for the world is against Africa as well for the year 2022 and 2023. For the world, Ghana is at 40, and that was for 2022. 2023, we are now at 51st, we've dropped. And then for Africa, we we're second. Now, take a look, we are fourth. And that's our ranking as we speak. That's the global uh, peace rank. And the cost of violence in Ghana, like we've been breaking down for you, 2022, it was 10.1 billion US dollars. Now for 2021, it's
it was 10.5 billion. Now, uh, that's the difference. The difference now we're, we're seeing is 400 million US dollars. That's what it looks like um, so far. This is um, how it looks like um, when we talk about the cost of violence, especially for, for Ghana. So this is um, quite the difference now as we've been breaking down for you. And we know that the global impact, which amounted to $17.5 trillion in 2022, equivalent to 12.9% of global GDP, or we can say it's $2,200 per person. And this cost is largely being blamed on the Russia-Ukraine war. And Ukraine as a country lost $449 billion US dollars, the largest in any country. And let's bring in Mutara Mumuni Mukhtar, is Executive Director at West Africa Center for Counter-Extremism, joins us via Zoom. Thank you so much uh, for your time here on Joy News Prime. So looking at the figures, quite staggering. 10 billion, we're at IMF now looking for just about 3 billion. How are we hoping to save costs knowing that we are losing $10 billion just to violence? Well, it tells us uh, many uh, sides of our society in terms of the economy, in terms of, you know, security, and generally our society's well-being. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, the data, it tells you that in the last couple of years, the incidences of violence around militarized violence in terms of police uh, violence, in terms of the unresolved chieftaincy and land disputes, uh, and as well as uh, ethnic conflicts around the country, it tells us that this is not surprising. And for me, if you look at the cost involved, generally the data we look at, I mean, beyond what, we, what has been published here, what we are looking at, the average cost in terms of, um, you know, in monetary terms, the most peaceful countries are losing about 3 to 4% of their GDP. Uh, if you look at the most, uh, 10 most affected conflict areas globally, we are looking at between 29% to even close to 60% of their GDP. That's, you know, more than half of the entire GDP of the country. That is a very, very terrible situation for any country. And what we, I mean, we are experiencing here is actually the tail end of it. We are actually the, one of the, some of the least impacted countries when it comes to the cost of conflicts to, you know, to nations. But at the same time, it's significant. If you look at the situation that we are looking at, I mean, we are addressing the economic challenges that we are facing uh, compared to the existing conflicts that have been un- unresolved over several decades. It tells us that we need to take it more serious in terms of our efforts to resolve unres- I mean, the unresolved conflicts, especially in the northern parts of the country. We are being told that the, the numbers have increased in terms of chieftaincy and ethnic conflicts that have been unresolved for decades you know, in this space. And that should worry all of us in terms of what it means for our economy and for our society. Well, this particular index, for instance, at least we've seen it in 2021, 2022, and 2023, and it looks like we keep dipping. Are these index something that we take seriously as a country, you'd say? It is generally, this is by the Institute of Economics and I mean, Peace. Uh, it is generally a combination of qualitative and quantitative data that they use in this ranking. And it's taken from very reliable sources. And so globally, everyone who works in this space take this ranking very, very seriously. And if you understand the implications as four nations, it makes sense for us to take it serious and to work around how we can get, you know, uh, we can be projected positively in the rankings. Mm. Today, anyone who is looking to invest in this country would also be influenced by this ranking. 
will be influenced by what is happening around us within the region and within the country. Anyone who is very, um, I mean, practically uh, involved in security knows that our country has gone bad in terms of the security vulnerabilities and the potential that we could be facing much more dangerous situations. Mm -hmm. And so it has very huge implications for us, and we need to take it very seriously. And of course, I know, you know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been, you know, uh, experiencing very serious uh, situations of insecurity in the northern parts of the country. We try to communicate in a manner that does not provoke alarm and panic. But the reality is, we are not in a good place yeah. when it comes to security in this country now. Okay. And it's not uh, just uh, the situation on the ground. It's costing us uh, economically as well. We are grateful, but this is an issue that we'll get to interrogate further. Mukta, we are always grateful for your time here on the Joy News Channel. Um, so that's um, the situation with the Global Peace Index report and how much the violence in this country and some of the conflicts are costing us as a nation. Well, board chairman of the Ghana Peace Council, Reverend Dr. Ernest Edujemfi, reacting to this report, indicated that continuous education on the effects of peace must be done. He also indicates that the council is taking consultations with several stakeholders to mitigate the challenges of conflict. We turn our attention to some other stories now and the Commission on Human Rights and Administrative Justice says it will invite the former Environment Minister Professor Kwabnafrim Pombwating to assist with its investigations into allegations that politically connected individuals stifled the Galamse fight. Well this indication comes in the wake of Member of Parliament for Saudi, Roxon Nelson Dafamakbo, in Informing the commission, he does not have any evidence to provide. The legislator petitioned Shrash to investigate the matter. Following widespread publication of the report, would focus on how key government and politically connected individuals stifled the fight against illegal mining. from himself is the best person to make available this detail. We have responded to the letter, and 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 Prof has indicated his willingness to appear before the, the commission and answer to questions. So I believe that once it's invited to speak to the matter, you have documents to, to adduce, to support the claim that he made in the report that he issued to the office of the president, which is the subject of the case. Then the indication I get is that they are waiting for these they make progress. That in, indeed, that is the the, the the tenor of the last paragraph of the letter. So I have responded appropriately by saying that they can they can proceed with the matter and from what he says in the documents and the other materials that they want from me. And so he will provide them. But Shrash says it is going ahead to prove the matter despite admitting their practical difficulties. We gave the list of the areas of interest in terms of evidence that we think, if they have it, they should make it available to the commission. Uh, it took a while. I think that letter has been with them for well over three, four, four weeks. Uh, until now, we have, oh, that is if I remember, mm. a response from them. But, of course, I want to assure Ghanaians that the Commission is investigating this complaint irrespective of whether the complainant is able to assist or not. But it is the duty of every complainant, if you actually have a case before the Commission, 
to be seen to be interested in supporting the commission with any evidence that could be available to you. So that is the angle from which the letter written to them was given. And so I must say that we've done, we're, we're doing a lot. We've reached out to a number of state institutions, expecting them to forward to us evidence of what we also expect from the complainant as well. There's nothing wrong with having the opportunity to look at all possible evidence and all nuances of the evidence in order to make the findings that we think we would have to make. So we have done a lot for now. I mean, in terms of their response to you, they specifically make the point that uh, Professor Fempombuatin has uh, what you need. He's already publicly indicated that he authored those documents. Am I to understand that the individuals that you intend to invite or those you have already invited, does it include Professor Fempombuatin? As I told you, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. Uh, we don't normally want to do this in the media. But of course, if the good old prof has got information for us on aspects of the complaint, we will reach out to him. But you see, there is an aspect of the complaint we need complainers to appreciate. In addition to the report by Frimpon Boateng, the complainants have made specific allegations against Professor Frimpon Boateng himself on allegations of corruption and the missing excavators and others. You don't expect that. That means that in the context of the allegations against Frimpon Boateng, Frimpon Boateng in the eyes of the commission becomes a respondent. And so we can't be asking Frimpon Boateng to come and give evidence against himself. We must get that evidence external of Frimpon Boateng. So the areas that we may use need Frimpon Boateng will be areas that have no allegations against him, but for which he has the evidence to support. I mean, I mean so it means that at this stage, there's the possibility that you call upon him at some point in time. Definitely. Especially in regard to the areas... One, that he can uh, support the commission with evidence about his own report and possibly reach out to him as a respondent in respect of the allegations made specifically against him in, in the area of corruption and the excavators. I mean, in terms of that allegation, how would you be investigating it? I mean, clearly they did not give you any evidence with regards to that specific one. That is why we wrote to him, to them, to appreciate the need to give further and better particulars because Frimpon Boateng cannot give evidence against himself. I mean, are you able to give us a sense of how many people you are, you are looking at or how many institutions, for instance, if also are written to? Because it's, the, the, the petition I was sent to broadly says that all the named officials in the task against a petition that ordinarily would have targeted specific names written on the documents. At this stage, I will not want to go into the details of the investigation. Suffice it that we have written to a number of state institutions to provide evidence. Those people who will be respondents, we are also going to reach out to them. Don't forget, we need the evidence first to ascertain that 
there is a basis for us to contact the other people who will become respondents. In the absence of any evidence beyond what they have given to us, we need that information or evidence to be able to say the named persons in Frimcombe Barton's report, there is enough basis for us to require a response from them. Mm. That is why we're still at this angle of the investigation. I mean, in terms of your procedure, I know that mostly what you tend to do is when you receive a petition, you do a determination to see that whether this is a matter that falls within the ambit. I might want to understand that you've already crossed that hurdle already. Cross that. We've crossed that. That's the Commissioner of Shraj, Joseph Wittel, they're interacting with our legal affairs correspondent, Joseph Akaple. Now, from the next meeting of Parliament, the Appointments Committee will be chaired by the party not in government if the revised standing orders is adopted. Currently, the committee which vets appointments from the President is chaired by the first Deputy Speaker, who since the inception of the Fourth Republic has always belonged to the party in government. Parliament has made a raft of changes to its existing standing orders to fit more trends. My colleague, Parliamentary Affairs Correspondent Kwikwa Sante, joins us via Zoom to give us a breakdown of what's currently happening when it comes to those particular sweeping orders or, that, or changes that's been made in Parliament. Kwiku, first, uh, take us through some of the key changes that have been made to the standing orders as we speak. So, um, MFR, the most um, probably sweeping of these new changes is the expansion of minority parties' powers in Parliament. Escuchas ese rugido Sientes la experiencia de poder La emoción de la libertad Ya estás preparado Para vivir tu nueva aventura Nueva Ram 1500 Hecha para vivir Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC Actually chaired by parties Other than the party in government In particular the subsidiary legislation committee And the public accounts committee Are the most popular of these two committees Which are chaired by members of parliament who are not members of the party in government. But this is now being revealed. In particular, parliament is now going to allow the opposition party in parliament to chair a crucial committee like the Public Accounts Committee. Like you said, it has always been chaired by the first deputy speaker. And from now on, it will be chaired from the minority party if this is eventually adopted by resolution, as we have seen today on the floor. We are also going to see what is called a budget committee, which is going to be sort of a breakaway from the larger committee of finance, mm-hmm. which is going to give that kind of powers to parliament to vet, check on budgets that will come from the executive and also ensure that the budget that is passed by parliament is implemented in a way that was approved in the House. So let's listen to Bernard Ahiapur. He's the he's ranking member on the parliament uh, constitutional a legal affairs committee, as well as Habib Idriso, giving a certain outline of what this standing orders is going on in terms of its implementation. The review standing orders is also establishing the committee on ethics and standards. It's also establishing a committee on development and the economy, establishing a committee, a, a budget, a committee. Uh, the review standing order is establishing budget, a committee also, is also establishing a committee on ways and means, is establishing a committee on independent constitutional body. 
Mr. Speaker, for instance, the appointment committee. It is a beautiful idea that the committee is now chaired by uh, a member from a party that is not forming government um, as uh, captured. But I was also of the view that with regards to ministers who have been vetted and approved by the committee, if they are reshuffled one way or the other, we do refer them back to the committee. One interesting one, Kweku, is the Ways and Means Committee that has been proposed. We'll talk about that, and then also the other standing committee. But what really, what's the explanation that was given for the Ways and Means, though? Well, so according to Parliament, there is the need for a Ways and Means Committee as pertains in the jurisdictions like the U.S. and the U.K. In the U.S., the Ways and Means Committee is actually in charge of writing tax laws for their Senate and their House of Representatives. It's going to be the Ways and Means Committee in Parliament is going to be in charge in terms of the oversight of the various committees in Parliament. So what pertains now is that if committees wanted to do anything, they will usually have to route it through the plat to Parliament for budgetary approval, among other things. Parliament wants to stop that practice and give that power to members of Parliament themselves. So the Ways and Means Committee is going to be a very powerful committee in Parliament which is going to oversee almost all the committees in the House in terms of their budgets, in terms of other things they do, they are also expected to present periodic reports in terms of how parliamentary committees are doing. And so for the first time in this country, jurisprudence, they're going to have a Ways and Means Committee in Parliament. Okay. Well, they also want to extend um, invitation uh, to institutions like Shraj and the Electoral Commission. As it stands now, they only do for ministers and appointees, amongst others. Has that been adopted? But let's talk a bit more about what the proposal is. Right. So currently... Um, only ministers, like you said, and deputy ministers sometimes are allowed to answer questions on the floor. In fact, MPs who have various concerns about how things are going in various sectors can actually ask questions for the ministers to come and respond. Mm. There is no such there is no such provision for the electoral commission for example, or strike. As per this new standard orders, if it's there, if it goes through, the electoral commissioner, Madame Jimensa, for instance, can have an urgent question in her name and she will be expected to come to the floor to come and answer. Boko Central MP, this is a very welcome development, and all MPs must rally behind it. In this day and age, where constitutional bodies are playing very key roles, and there must be a mechanism for holding them accountable, we will deny ourselves an opportunity to use the tools of parliamentary processes to hold these institutions accountable if we don't grant the audience. And so the proposal that allows us to give audience to independent constitutional bodies appear before us, given that they are not under sector ministers. And the existing rules only allow sector ministers to appear before us and answer questions. If we stick to the existing rules, we will deny ourselves the opportunity to hold independent constitutional bodies accountable by the mechanisms of parliamentary oversight that are known to us. Well, the constitutionality or otherwise of this, Kweku, I know came up on the floor. What were the arguments for this or against it? In fact, there seems to be a certain consensus among all of the, the members that this is something that we should do. But of course, the former Deputy Attorney General, Dr. Dominikayene, said that Parliament would have to tarry slowly so that it it does not seem to have been, as it were, an extending extent of 
us into EC affairs, shared affairs, but the Speaker of Parliament came in and said that, well, what you want to do is to only question them about what you are doing and not seek to control them. My substantive observation with respect to the, um, the current standing orders relates to the mandate of the Committee on Independent Constitutional Bodies. Mr. Speaker, when we were drafting the, 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 the standing orders, we were careful not to act ultra violence because of the fact that um, the for instance, in Article uh, uh, 6, says that the electoral commission is independent and shall be subject to the direction or control of any person or authority. Now, Parliament is an authority under the Constitution. The question is whether we can purport to uh, exercise complete oversight over uh, I mean the, the electoral commission and in the composition of the I mean in the man, the, man, the formulation of the mandate of the committee we said it shall have referred to it matters matters from the independent constitutional bodies so yes, I would suggest that we be more careful and specific in the formulation because as the honorable Ayaga said uh, the Honourable Member for Boku Central made clear in his conclusion, if we don't take, take time and we overstep the boundaries of our constitutional mandate, we'll be running into trouble with independent constitutional bodies. And direction in the performance of their functions. Not everything. And so in the performance of their functions, we are not going to do anything that will control and direct them. But definitely, we represent the good people who pay them, who pay for all what they do. And we are given the function to ensure that what they give them is utilized in their interest, in the interest of the people. That is also our function, not their function. And so we are not going to control or direct them in the performance of their function. We are just going to perform our function of holding them to account to the good people who have been paying them and paying for whatever they do. That is all. Well, they are also expected to have a committee on security and intelligence, even though we know that there's a defense and interior committee. There have been some arguments on this. Let's talk about it, Kweko. Right. MFI, again, this is also molded in the shape of the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives, what is the, the, the Committee on Intelligence. This is going to be a quickening away from the existing defense and interior committee and they're going to be briefed periodically on national security issues. Over the past few days, we've been covering stories about how jihadis in the northern part of the country and how the defense ministry are, are going in. Mm-hmm. Parliament is usually handicapped on such matters. They do not get any briefing except the president, for instance. With the coming in force of the Security and Intelligence Committee, there's going to be that avenue for MPs to question intelligence chiefs on some of these matters. The MP for Iowa Central and Greater Accra Regional Minister recorded his concern that some MPs may divulge national security information to the public, and so he wants them to either swear oath of secrecy or append their signature to some documents. Speaker, clearly, security and intelligence is a different ballgame altogether. May I suggest that though members of parliament and ministers of state may have sworn different oaths of uh, secrecy and all that. But members who will be selected to be on this committee, there should be a clause, Mr. Speaker, to, as it were, 
guide them from divulging confidential information that may harm the security of the nation. The Speaker, I say so because oftentimes we meet at committee levels, ordinary committee levels, your, your committee in Parliament, and discussions that are held there are brought in the open public discussions. So, Mr. Speaker, this particular committee has to be looked at carefully, and members who go on it must be made to sign something to assure Mr. Speaker that should they divulge any matter, any sensitive matter that comes to their attention during the course of their performing their duties, Mr. Speaker, that you will be sanctioned. Mr. Speaker, I think this is a very important area that we have to look at. We cannot play politics of the national security of this country. So, quick, we know this. Has this been approved? And was there consensus for this, you say? Indeed, there was consensus on both sides of the aisle. So, the committee report detailing these specific changes have not been adopted. We expect that in the coming days, Parliament will, by resolution, give effect to this. Already, the Speaker of Parliament has explained that the standing order is expected to come in effect um, at the next meeting of Parliament, which will start either late October or early November. So, in the coming days, there will be a resolution to this effect, and then finally, Parliament would have revised the standing orders. There have been efforts to do so for the last 20 years, and finally, Parliament has been able to forge some sort of consensus to be able Okay, uh, that's um, a Parliamentary Affairs Correspondent uh, Kweku Asante there uh, giving us uh, details of um, happenings in Parliament and we're expecting some new standing orders and it's been adopted in Parliament. There's more on myjournalline.com but there are multiple legal and administrative processes set in motion to have a new judge handle the trial of minority leader Dr. Kisolato Forsen. The current judge, Justice Ifia Sewa Saribuche, is accused of bias and the minority leader and businessman, Richard Japa are all demanding her removal from the case. The two are standing trial for the alleged roles in the purchase of ambulances, which the Attorney General says resulted in a 2 million euros loss to the state. Legal Businessman Richard Jackpa has petitioned the Chief Justice asking that she transfers the case to a new judge. It is unclear at this stage what specifically is Mr. Jackpa's concern current judge handling the case. Justice Efia Sari Boche on Thursday indicated that allegations of bias have been leveled against her. It will be recalled that Mr. Jakpa clashed with the judge on June 20, 2023. This bordered on how he had reacted when a clerk of the court had offered him a sanitizer sent to him by the judge. The judge warned she will not tolerate any disrespect from the parties in the case. The businessman joining his understands holds the view the judge will not be fair and should be stopped from handling the case. The minority leader, on the other hand, has filed a motion at the court asking the judge to recuse herself. He contends some comments made by the judge raises questions regarding the impartiality. Specific reference is made to the judge's warning of issuing a warrant for the arrest of Dr. Forsen's witnesses who failed to show up in court. The minority leader holds the view that if a summoned witness fails to show up, the court needs to inquire into the reason for the absence rather than simply threatening to cause the arrest of the witness. He therefore wants the judge to recuse herself from the matter in the interest of a fair trial. Justice Fiasa Ibotri announced.
that due to the pending petition to the chief justice the case will be put on hold awaiting the decision of the chief justice the request by the minority leader will also remain outstanding while the court awaits further direction the minority leader has meanwhile petitioned the court asking that his passport be released to enable him travel that matter is also yet to be dealt with the case is back in court on july 27. And just in from our legal affairs desk, uh, the High Court has set aside a shrudge um, investigation into the AJ Nimboati AJ contract for sale case. We'll give you more on myjournalline.com. This is Joy News Prime. Still to come, Ed Dams, constructed under the One Village One Dam project in Bongo, cannot hold enough water to be of use to residents during times of dire need. feels like becoming an entrepreneur aside academics is never going to be possible when you're in school. Mainly because we feel that we are young and we don't have the resources and the guts to be one. But if you believe in yourself and you have the passion to become an entrepreneur, then you already are. Staying ahead in a highly competitive environment requires applying creativity and innovation to every aspect of your journey to becoming an entrepreneur. Presently, entrepreneurship is driven by creativity and innovation to attain business objectives. The explosion in technology, business, entrepreneurship, and consumption in this new era is as a result of the ongoing application of innovation. Milton Bell once said, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. So, if you are ready to be an entrepreneur, Heritage Christian College is ready for you. Heritage Christian College moves you from a wantrepreneur to become an entrepreneur. My name is Tina. I am a person living with HIV. I got to know my HIV status after I gave birth and lost the child because of HIV. In those days, prevention of mother-to-child transmission services had low patronage due to fear and stigmatization. Today, many HIV-positive women have delivered negative children. I follow the guidelines and take my HIV medicine called ARVs every day as prescribed by my doctor. This makes me strong and healthy and also prevents me from passing HIV onto any future child. Please, avail yourself of PMTCT services when pregnant. It is the only way to ensure you do not pass the HIV onto your baby during birth or pregnancy. If you have tested for HIV recently and it was negative, test again when pregnant. If you have tested positive, go to the hospital after birth as directed by your healthcare provider. Your baby will be given medicine immediately and tested to ensure baby and mother are well. Let us work together to have an HIV-free generation. Our children must be free to shine.
When malaria strikes, take Malatu, containing Arthometer and Lumifantrin. Comes in tablets and suspension for effective treatment of malaria. Great to have you back. Thank you. No problem. Malatu is suitable for adults and children. Manufactured and distributed by NS Chemist Limited. This advertisement has been vetted and approved by the FDA. Welcome back to Join News Prime. Now, eight dams constructed under the One Village One Dam project in Bongo, Kasina, Nankana West, and Talensi District, all in the Upper East region, dry up at least by January because the dams cannot hold enough water. Farmers told Join News they leave the water for the animals to drink and are unable to farm during the dry season as the program is intended. In a first of two parts hotline documentary titled Thirsty Dams, features editor Jojo Kobner reports that farmers are pleading with government to coerce contracts to return to the site and do a, jo a better job. The documentary airs on 17 July. Here are excerpts. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Water to the Nordner is like blood. When we have water, we can do a lot of things for ourselves. And without its unemployment, poverty, and farming. To escape, many young people travel down south for supposed greener pastures. The NPP government provided a solution. One village, one dam. The dam candidates and then the vice, the running mates visited a chief in one of these villages and met the women digging the ground with their bare hands for water. So when they saw that, they said, well, when we come to power, we will provide you with water that can be better than what you are using your bare hands to construct. And that is how come the promise of one village, one dam. The policy appealed to the people in the northern regions. The government here and told us that they will be giving us dam. And our people assured them that if they give them them, they also, they also let them laugh. And really, you can ask our assemblyman and even ask the MPP people what uh, this community did for them. They voted massively for them. It was a political promise that won the hearts and minds of the people. The dams 
should make it possible for farmers to farm all year round and break the cycle of waiting for the rains before cultivation. It was the reason why the people of Bongo sang and danced till they became drenched in sweat. When the president cut salt for the implementation of the project. We have begun the One Village, One Dam initiative. And you here in Bongo can see for yourself that we have begun the initiative. It is our intention that Bongo alone will get 10 dams this year. 570 are being built. You heard the minister across the three northern regions. And Bongo constituency alone is going to get 10 out of that 560, 570. This campaign promise has been fulfilled. Well, but not quite. Dam always take us two months to dry up. Only two months? Only two months. October, November. The water dry up. In November, like this, you see our pepper farm. You will like it. But where? No water again. My name is Jojo Kobinam. It has been five years since the dams were constructed. My job here is simple. Find out how the dams are serving the people as it should and what concerns the people have. I hope governments will use the findings in this documentary to improve the current state of the dams. And that documentary airs on the 17th of July. You don't want to miss it. Now, Chief Executive Officer of the National Health Insurance Authority, Dr. Bernardo Koboy, has disclosed his outfit has reimbursed over 1 billion Ghana cities to health facilities in the country. In addition, claims of service providers for February 2023 are also being processed. With these payments, Dr. Bernardo Koboy says they are now within the 90-day window, which is the acceptable international standards for payment of health insurance claims. During his Upper West regional correspondent Rafiq Salam reports from Wa. Dr. Bernard Okoboy began his five-day tour of the Upper West Region at the Upper West Regional Coordinating Council where he met with the Upper West Regional Minister Dr. Hafiz Bin Sali. He recalled with nostalgia his last visit to the region as a Deputy Minister for Health when the region was confronted with fighting the global pandemic of the coronavirus alongside cerebral spinal meningitis, CSM. Four to four persons had lost their lives as a result of CSM at the time and urgent steps were needed to put a lid on it. Dr. Okoboy is now the chief executive officer of the National Insurance Authority and is back in the region and this time to visit and interact with stakeholders and officials of the NHIA. Um, before we took over administration some seven years ago, uh, we had serious liabilities when it comes to arrears. This also affected what happened in the hospitals. 
people go to the hospital, they will tell you, um, instead of four medicines that you have to take, we have one. People go to the hospitals, they will tell you, you know, we've not been paid. Sometimes they take money from clients. Today, as you speak, the good news is that from January to now, we've paid over one billion Ghana cities to clear almost all the areas that we have uh, with hospitals. He also used the opportunity to announce some new additions to the benefit package of the health insurance scheme. We've also added hydroxyurea, a very recently developed drug, very effective at reducing a crisis occurrence in sickle cell patients and improving the quality of their lives. And then thirdly, we all know that Herceptin, a wonderful drug, is a wonderful drug which improves the chances of survival for breast cancer women. We have not stopped there. Recently, some few weeks ago, Nana Rodanko Kufadu's Excellence announced that mental disorders or diseases will now be put on the benefits package of the National Health Insurance Scheme. So that people with depression, schizophrenia, all kinds of mental diseases that uh, end up with people walking on the streets, we now can treat them and pay for them so that people can be brought back to society. Our power social minister, Dr. Abiz Bin Sali, on his part, appealed to Dr. Okoboy to work to ensure that all 11 municipalities and districts in the region have independent offices to improve healthcare delivery in the region. Your agency is operating in nine out of the 11 areas we have in the upper west region. Lambusi is still hooked to Jirapa, while Dakema Busi is, is also hooked to Nadoli. Reporting for Joy News, Rafik Salam. Wow. Now, a recent findings conducted by the World Bank has revealed that 50% of 10-year-old students in developing countries struggled with literacy. A post-COVID assessment revealed that this figure had declined to a concerning 70%. Managing Director of Operations for the World Bank, Anna Bechley, shared the outcome of this investigation on a visit to the new Bowie Municipal Basic One School to assess the progress of the Ghana Accountability for Learning Outcome Project Gallup. There's more in this report. The Ghana Accountability for Learning Outcome Project, Gallup, is an initiative founded by the World Bank. The project supports 10,500 schools nationally. The World Bank Managing Director of Operations, Anna Bijedi, as part of her visit to Ghana, went to the Wijakbawi Municipal Assembly Basic One School, one of the beneficiaries of the Gallup project. She expressed concern about the inability of pupils and students in developing countries to comprehend what they read. So before COVID, we were um, tracking data of 10-year-old children to see how many 10-year-old children in the world had a difficult time reading a story that was appropriate for their age and understanding it fully. For developing countries, low-income and low-middle-income countries around the world, 57% of those 10-year-olds actually had difficulty. That was a high number, we felt, and gave us a reason before COVID to really focus and continue to focus on education 
and learning, actually trying to quantify and understand whether children were learning. After COVID, we have reassessed that number, and it's not a good outcome. We now put the number at 70%. Seven out of 10 children at age of 10 have a hard time reading a story and fully comprehending it. Deputy Minister of Education in Team Forjo indicated the Gallup project has helped significantly in improving the literacy of students in the country. Thanks to the support under Gallup, a number of interventions under the Gallup uh, program was targeted at remediation um, programs post-COVID. So whilst COVID um, took a hit, learning losses were occasioned, but we had some interventions that addressed some remediation. So after that, in the year 2021, in December 2021, we did a national standardized test. The outcome of our national standardized test was that 54% of learners around the age of 10 are able to read proficiently at grade level. But 56% is not where we want to get to. We actually want to ensure that minimum, our target, our strategic target is to ensure minimum 90% of learners at the age of 10 are able to read. Let's take a quick break, shall we? Return with showbiz. Please do stay. You will enjoy free life insurance. Oh. Free debit card, save while you spend, and an amazing chance to double your salary. A hundred and even more consolation rewards in the EcoBank Double Salary Promo Reloaded. Vimwo, this EcoBank salary account sounds interesting. What do you think? Yeah, uh, but maybe next time, Charlie. You know what? I do go shine my shoe. Hey. Yo, myself, I do go check my BP. Open an Ecobank salary account today for a lifetime of benefits. You also stand a chance to win more than double your salary. The Ecobank double salary promo reloaded from now till July 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Many people think I get whatever I want because I'm a popular actress. But no, that is not true. Me and Kasano, I did be a me biano. Me shishim to papa no. And when I find it, I stick to it. My shishim when your bell pack tissues. Bell pack and with tea roll. Bell pack tea roll. Soft, but not weak. Strong, but not hard. It is smooth. Me yusua, me hotome. It's just perfect. Same as the kitchen towel. Uti bakwa. Uti mi de pepaye. Uti mi soki. Eti mu esa pepa. One bell pack kitchen towel lasts longer and saves you money. It's time you switch to Bell Park today. Say your pocket tissue, table napkin, tea roll, and a kitchen towel. Bell Park is simply the best. It's just perfect. Daddy, Daddy, oh, this tank is big. Yes, that's true. 
It can store a lot of water. That's so true. Wow. It has a working surface on it. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I can see S-I-N-T-E-S syntax. That is so true, my daughter. Well, it's further into spoilers. That's not true. But why? Hey! <laughs> Syntex was the first to introduce double layer tanks in Ghana. Syntex again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. Syntex gives you the biggest water seven years. No matter your water needs, Syntex is the answer. Syntex tank. Are you strong? Are you tough? Limited and it's time for showbiz. Ivy's here. Ivy, yes. what are we doing tonight? So we are doing something from Samini and then the late Amata Edu. You know, she's she passed on on the 31st of May. And then, if time permits us, I'll throw you back on a music video and a song that you will love. Okay. Let's go. So Samini is graduating on the 28th of this month and he's so excited about it himself and he says that he's going to release an album to celebrate that. So all high graders, just be ready for this album. Well, I met him and had a little cover with him after the Radiation concert and this is what he said. I did, I did a few things. I, I, did, I dropped an EP while in school, a burning EP I did that in school uh, that had um, a fear on the, the track picture. So that EP, I did that. I also dropped uh, the single... Um, Abundance. I also dropped uh, a single, a reggae single. It was that reggae single again. The last one I just dropped. See, my mind inside all makes plenty. So, yeah, uh, um, um. oh, that okay. is off the Sticks and Locks EP. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I've been trying to stay active, okay. at, at least keep my fans engaged. And of course, as the, as the SRC president who qualified for vetting with the right GPA, I couldn't afford to start going downhill then it's going to affect my graduation and lo and behold my, my, my papers are good and I'm graduating on the 28th of this month well that's good congratulations on that so it means three and a half years you yeah even though you did some works but you held a lot of you back yeah are you ready to unleash now yeah and yep. Go, going to unleash what is what is going to be the roadmap for Samini now that all high graders out there know that you're done with school what's going yeah. to be the roadmap uh, expect a lot of exciting stuff. A lot of exciting stuff from Samini, and that is what we are expecting. But former Minister of Foreign Affairs, that is Hannah Tete, says preserving the legacy of the late poet and author, playwright Amate Edu, will be a great honor to her memory. Well, today uh, the funeral was held, and this is what happened at the funeral grounds. A missed a rendition of hymns 
family, friends, and loved ones read tributes to recount, highlight, and share memories of the woman President Ekufado describes as a knowledgeable teacher. Ama Atta Edu, who lived for 83 years, traveled the world over, utilizing her pen as a weapon to fight for the rights of women and girls especially. According to the president, the African continent will greatly miss her. Amma's brief and early foray into formal politics saw her being appointed secretary for education in 1982 in the Provisional National Defense Council government of the man who subsequently became the first president of the Fourth Republic, His Excellency the late Jerry John Rawlings. She took up that position because she wanted to get the majority of the Ghanaian population, especially the girl child, educated. Her writing, you know, coming from that simple village in Abiazi, you, you just can't imagine where she got all that from. She, just a, she was just a blessing to us. Prince Kwame Kuduga's report read to you. and the 29th, Fifi Coleman is going to hold a play in honor of her. That is a dynamo of a ghost. Yeah. But today is Thursday. Mm -hmm. So let me rewind the track and take you back on the tra uh, track machine, right? Okay. I don't know. Do you remember this song? Well, okay. let's take a listen to it. When we come, you tell me if you remember it. Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Without joining us Prime on a Thursday, throwback Thursday. There's more when you log on to myjournalmind.com. Ivy, have a good evening. Okay, you And too. you have a good evening, too. <laughs> Investment Limited.
afienya dodo wa aflawo bon eni mpata mu honi nyara ye office I was Pinterest Road. You live a restaurant in the deep shade. For SCP was 0501-672-608. And our toll-free number 0800-626-262. Hi, now let me share my wildlife experience with you at Safari Valley Eco Park. Welcome to Safari Valley Eco Park. Our electric shuttle pulled up and in no time our tour began. We were surrounded by wildlife from the moment we entered the Eco Park. We were greeted by experienced tour guides who took us through orientation and how to better enjoy the experience. We watched these animals roam freely in their natural habitat and disturb the animals. We saw zebras, sable antelopes, brown cranes, mara, silverfish, bananas, Shetland ponies, and so many animals are just going to Our tour guides taught us so much about the wildlife, their behavior, and how to interact with them. I even fed them. We also went fishing on a man-made canal. Then we took a break to have lunch in this serene environment. All this amazing experience for this prize for adults? This prize for teenagers. And this for kids. It's a bargain. As the sun began to set, it was time to go back home. But not before dinner, by the campfire. It's been a thrill of a lifetime and I can't wait till my next visit. Safari Valley Eco Park, bringing you closer to nature. Madam. I'm looking for Abna. Abna, there's someone looking for you. Madam, please, where's Abna? Abna, yes, is this who you are looking for? Ah. Madam, please get me Abna. Please. Bella, Abna, bra. Should I this for you? It's okay, Grandma. You can drink it all. Oh, coffee. I brought plenty for you. Do you know that? Calipo, the natural fruit juice drink. This advertisement has been vetted and approved by the FDA. When you're little, days are extremely busy. Meetings, conference calls. Luckily, our mom is here to take good care of us with day-by-day baby and day-by-day kids and their naturally active ingredients. Our skin is hydrated, soothed, and protected all day long. Yes, hello.
Welcome to Prime Business with me, Pius Kujobaka. To our very first story, Talo Oil has indicated that it has made significant progress towards securing government's approval for its amended Chinibuan Tumi plan for development. This was captured in Talo's oil trading statement and operational update statement. Here's more. Oil in a trading statement report noted that it has made some changes to the plan of development for the Chinibuan Inura Tome oil field. This was after it had some fruitful engagement with government when it comes to the redevelopment of the area. Talo Oil also announced that it has taken measures that will help improve the efficiency and the turnaround of the field when it comes to the production of gas from the field. This has resulted to the shutdown of the FPSO of the Chinobua in Iran Tome, which Talo says it is also seeking to improve gas handling as well as reducing flaring going forward. Talo says it's in discussion with government when it comes to reaching a deal in terms of long-term gas sales agreement. According to Talo, the agreement will not only enhance energy security in Ghana, but add another revenue stream for Talo Oil. For some industry watchers, all these developments will go a long way in helping turning around the fortunes of Talo Oil before the end of this year in terms of crude production and gas. Talo Oil believes it has been able to implement several strategies that will put the oil exploration firm on strong footing before the end of 2023. Now, Ghana's fiscal economy is expected to recover significantly this year as the budget deficit in relation to the size of the economy would narrow to 5.7% this year. That's according to Fitch Solutions' latest media review of Sub-Saharan Africa. This means the outlook of the economy appears promising. There is more in this business desk report. The UK firm said the narrowing of the deficit is as a result of of the International Monetary Fund-directed physical consolidation alongside the suspension of interest payments. It's explained that the expected improved fiscal economy is underpinned by the restructuring of Ghana's domestic debt alongside the introduction of new taxes. According to the Bank of Ghana's May 2023 Monetary Policy Report, interest payments declined by 44.2% year-on-year in the first quarter of this year. But this was due to the freeze on external debt service payments since December last year. 
on key development in sub-Saharan Africa. Fitch Solutions said there had been a rise in debt service payments across key markets in the region. In conclusion, it said governments across the region are locked out of the international debt market and are facing increasing costs, especially if they are turning to more costly domestic capital markets. In some other news, business groups are mounting pressure on government to use the media budget presentation to review some of the taxes introduced in the 2023 budget while ensuring a stable exchange rate to propel private sector growth. They contend that the high taxes, utility tariffs, among other policy measures, have had a great impact on the operations, thereby stifling their growth over the past few months. Now, speaking to Joy Business ahead of the media budget presentation, President of the Ghana Union of Traders Association, Joseph Obeng, is therefore calling for clear-cut policies to create a congenial environment for private sector development. Going to IMF means that um, there are so many conditionalities that is going to hurt businesses. And we all know the three taxes that was introduced, the effects of the exchange rate um, um, the last quarter of 2022, which made businesses suffer and all that. The other measures like the benchmark reversal policies and all that have made uh, uh, doing business very extremely uh, difficult. Mm. And so at this point, when we want the growth of businesses, because we have succeeded getting the IMF, what we have to think now is to uh, make sure that uh, businesses have the space to grow again and revamp the economy. This is the only stage that we are now. Otherwise, if you do the things that we, um, we have been doing and keep on doing it, it means that we will succeed collapsing businesses and then the whole uh, uh, economy uh, uh, will, will, uh, will be um, at stake. Government has been urged to support the training of biomedical engineers to develop quality medical equipment and devices for the country. This is expected to boost the health economy and consequently the GDP growth rate. Chief Executive Officer of ADB Medical Systems, Benjamin Adam, disclosed this to Joy Business after a three-day training for biomedical engineers. Here is more. Many countries are now generating significant revenue from the health economy through diversification of services. Speaking to Joy Business after a three-day training for biomedical engineers, CEO of ADB Medical Systems, Benjamin Diaz Adan, said Ghana must prioritize its health economy. He pointed out that his outfit's aim is to deliver high-quality medical equipment and healthcare solution for its customers. What we do is that we are specialized in delivery of quality of medical equipment and we source from top class manufacturers and we get into hospital construction as well. So when these equipments are in, we partner the various health facilities across the country. What we do is that we bring in the American engineers from the various regions and from the districts across the country. So we bring the manufacturer to provide training about the futures of this equipment to them. When they get this knowledge, they are able to go and help the end users to be able to put their equipment to good use. In fact, we are providing quality healthcare delivery and we want to instill that sense of responsibility to everybody along the chains. Dr. Nicholas Ejapong, the head of Biomedical Engineering Unit at the Ministry of Health, said the government is doing everything possible to grow the health economy. Well, the Ghana government... Uh, 
during the COVID period, initiated a number of things to make our health systems very strong. We know what happened during the COVID time. It was so difficult and stressful for all of us. So, um, as a result of that, government um, embarked on an, an ambitious project to make sure that what is required to make diagnosis quickly, to treat patients and support care in our health facilities were all brought on board. Managing partner for Coral Reef Innovation Hub Africa, Richard Osei Nim, says more investments are needed for the full rollout of artificial intelligence to control job losses. According to him, the potential for AI to reshape the world of world um, work means companies need to start learning now to avoid being left behind. He explained that Ghana can leverage these potentials through the exposure of young people to the new phenomenon. He spoke to Joy Business at the launch of AI for Youth program at the Association International School. Our core business as Coral Reef and the Hatchery is to support schools and our youth and prepare them for the future of work. Uh, if you look at the fourth industrial revolution, there are different uh, components. It starts from IoT, AI, machine learning, cybersecurity, data analysis, and so on. So we're just launching AI for you today as one of the key components of the fourth industrial revolution, preparing students uh, with an insight into AI, give them the tools that allows them to uh, use the tools to solve local problems that an algorithm can replace, or any task, a routine task that an algorithm can replace, it will be replaced by the algorithm. Now the challenge for humans is how do you leverage these tools to be able to get the best out of what you're doing. You are scaling the human being maybe a thousand times. And that's basically what AI. As far as jobs are concerned, automation will get rid of jobs, but innovation will replace those types of jobs. The challenge for us as a country is to provide our students with the skills that allows them to take advantage of the opportunities that innovation presents. Okay, so yes, you will lose some jobs, but in new jobs requiring new skills will be created. Machine learning, AI, ability to analyze data, uh, internet of things, uh, and so on. So the opportunities are immense. If you look around uh, globally, there are about 85 million jobs that are being created. Some will be lost, but some will also be created. So it's really about alignment and providing our students and youth with the skills required to take advantage of opportunities that the technology presents. Let's now go to the Ashanti region where commuters in Kumasi have decried the rampant exploitation by commercial transport operators who arbitrarily hike fares during rush hours. They are hoping for an efficient operation of the bus rapid transport system to ease the monopoly of trotter operators. The following report by Anita Sewa Ajuga looks at the state of the public transport system in Greater Kumasi. During rush hours, some commercial intercity transport operators, known popularly as Trotro, increased their fares by almost 100%. Stranded commuters pay more to board vehicles and spend hours in traffic. We 
The first three cities, but to add another three cities, and that's our problem. We hope the buses would be available in future. Anytime it rains, the prices are increased, but the BRT maintains the same price. The Trotro drivers change the transport fare in the evening, and we want something to be done about it. The private minibuses compete with the 33 vehicles currently under the bus rapid transport fleet managed by the Kumasi Metropolitan Assembly. But the poor public bus transport system remains a challenge to the BRT operations. Branch manager of BRT Ayalolu, Samson Edulabi, says commuters prioritize their services mostly during rush hours. Public transport challenges in Kumase basically has got to do with our parking lots or parking places at the main CBD where we load the passengers and then also the road network in Kumase. Uh, our buses, as you can see, are available but we don't have dedicated bus lanes where these buses will have to commute to the main CBD so we are all competing with the other private mini buses popularly called the Trotro and then when we get to the CBD proper that is the central market and the doom we don't have even a parking space left alone a loading point so we barely able to go and spend time to los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Good for passengers. And because of that, during the non-peak hours, our buses have to retire back to the depot and packed, as you can see here. So that during the peak hours after 
They will go to the CBD and pick the passengers. Providing transport infrastructure and reducing barriers to travel could serve as an important strategy for reducing transport poverty. Urban transport planner and resettlement specialist at the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, Professor Michael Pokubuensi, wants the government to put in drastic interventions to prevent transport poverty in the greater Kumasi metropolis. Our BIT system started at the same time as our counterparts in Tanzania, Dar es Salaam. Whilst Ghana's project could not see the light of day, the project in Tanzania became a success and currently has 305 buses, carries 300,000 passengers daily, and became the first African city to win the Sustainable Transport Award in 2018. Reducing from the outcome of these two initiatives of the government of Ghana, it will not be far-fetched to conclude that transport poverty is going to stay with us for a very long time to come, unless some drastic interventions are carefully planned and implemented. The World Bank, after visibility studies, has approved a bus rapid system that will be implemented in Greater Kumasi. Mr. Edulabi noted the new road and car designs will conform to the new standards. Uh, we have passed through the feasibility studies with the World Bank. And in this situation, the World Bank came down and invited all stakeholders, transport operators, urban roads, and all the engineers. So they have come to actually identify our current problem or current situation. And they are incorporating all the needs into the new BLT that they are bringing. So they are bringing on board new road designs that will conform to the new standard. And even the buses we are going to use are also going to be redesigned to suit the cultural behavior of our people here. So this gives me a relief that if we have life, then Kumasi will see the light in future. The BRT operations will access a dedicated route for the buses, including a terminal at Sokoban to operate fully in Greater Kumasi. For Joy News, Anita Sewajuga's report, read to you. Now, entrepreneurs in Ghana face many challenges in their quest to expand and sustain their businesses. Some of these small businesses collapse within a short period of their inception. Joy Business's Jesse Ariam Agrapo has been finding out what is accounting for the fold-up of many small businesses in the country. The high unemployment rate in Ghana continues to alarm the country's youth and successive governments. According to statistics, Ghana has more than 635,000 unemployed individuals as of 2022. In response to the rising rate of youth unemployment, the government began encouraging young people to pursue entrepreneurship. However, many of these entrepreneurs encounter many difficulties. Co-founder of Medbox and entrepreneur, David Ofori Emmanuel, shares some of his struggles with us. At Medbox, what we do is we help chronic and diabetic patients carefully manage their body vitals and medications. Funding is one of the greatest um, challenges that entrepreneurs have because as a startup you need a lot of funds to be able to regulate and operate unlike big businesses they have other ventures that they can look into but startups need a lot of money to be able to enter into various ventures and it's part of our challenges so apart from funding are there other challenges that you're facing 
Yes, they are. So as a startup, you need to be introduced to a lot of stakeholders to be able to help you build your business. And I think um, here in Ghana, um, most of the stakeholders don't really open up for entrepreneurs or startups to be able to look into how they can help them. And I think that is where we lack, you know, getting in touch with um, stakeholders and opening up to support is very, you know, small. There are many institutions that are offering SMEs and small businesses various grants. I know of MTN, I know Society General has a grant, and then there's the Africa Prize for Engineering Innovation, of which you have been a participant. What other solutions, what other ways can we help businesses, small businesses and entrepreneurs in the country to sustain their businesses and scale up? I think one of the things that can really help is partnership. Uh, businesses, big businesses like, you know, other um, big uh, stakeholders can partner with small um, and upcoming startups and to be able to open up and hold their hands into the big market because startups uh, don't really have the strength to be able to survive alone. They need partners that can help them, you know, scale up and also increase sales. So if you have stakeholders helping you, you move faster than moving alone. Obed Zah, another entrepreneur, has had to rely on partnerships with other businesses to gain access to markets. So I think every entrepreneur in Ghana has um, challenges. Yeah, like I, I, I also have challenges as, as an entrepreneur in Ghana. We are into water management solutions in Ghana. It is our aim that everybody gets access to water all year round in Ghana, in Af- in Africa as well. So, for example, access to market is not is not that open. Um, we're trying to leverage on strategic partnership with stakeholders to get access to our market. Um, funding, yes, funding is also another challenge that we are facing, especially for those of us who are still in the startup space. You know, we have um, different levels of businesses, um, in business growth, um, yeah. But those of us in the startup space, it's not that easy to get access. To funding, yeah. So I believe that is really a major challenge that entrepreneurs are facing in this country. Davy Ofori Emmanuel refutes claims that most entrepreneurs aren't developing concepts or solutions that tackle pressing social issues. Every business has a chance of, you know, winning or trying to survive. It depends on the structure or the procedure that entrepreneurs try to use in terms of building businesses up. And I think every business also needs wins and startup and funding and stakeholders to be able to, you know, shift and also redefine the idea of the business. Because when you have a business idea, you start up, you need to redefine it to fit a specific market. So you cannot just say, okay, this business doesn't really work. Sometimes you need to redefine yourself, change the market size, try um, a different um, geographical space for you to be able to strive and that's it for the bulletin i am pios kojo baka and you can get business stories when you log on to myjoyonline.com forward slash business we leave you with some international business bye
business segment was brought to you by Ecobank, the Pan-African Bank. It's time you switch to Bell Park today. Fever, headache, vomiting, loss of appetite. I couldn't even eat my usual fufu. <laughs> you and your fufu. But I hope you got it tested before the malaria treatment. Yes, I did. And thanks to Malatu, I kicked out malaria one time. When malaria strikes, take Malatu, containing Arthemeter and Lumefantrin. Comes in tablets and suspension for effective treatment of malaria. Great to have that. Thank you. No problem. Malatu is suitable for adults and children. Manufactured and distributed by NS Chemist Limited. This advertisement has been vetted and approved by the FDA. Hey, let's take a selfie. Smile! Hey, smile, smile! Let's have some filters. Filters? No! Well, young girl is our house. Let's keep it natural. Natural it is! <laughs> natural is definitely better. Fritelli, the all natural fruit juice. This advert is FDA approved. Many people think I get whatever I want because I'm a popular actress. But no, that is not true. Me and Kasano, I do be a me yebiano. Me shishem to papa no. And when I find it, I stick to it. My shishem when your bell pack tissues. Bell pack ever tea roll. Bell pack tea roll. Soft, but not weak. Strong, but not hard. It is smooth. Me yusua, me hot tummy. It's just perfect. Same as the kitchen towel. Uti bakwa, uti mi de pepaye, uti mi soki, eti mu esa pepa. One bell pad kitchen towel lasts longer and saves you money. It's time you switch to Bell Park today. Say your pocket tissue, table napkin, tea roll, and a kitchen towel. Bell Park is simply the best. It's just perfect. Let me feel so good like Bell.
segment is brought to you by Commander DBS Industries to you. Let's go to DBS Industries. to you by Commander DBS Industries to you. Let's go to DBS Industries. Hello welcome to Prime Sports with me Razak Musbao. Now the draw for the 2026 World Cup qualifying campaign, African qualifying campaign has been held in Ivory Coast during the CAF 45th anniversary general assembly. The fifth four-member countries were distributed into nine groups of six, with the Black Stars of Ghana drawn in Group I for the qualifiers. Now, let's take a look at um, the group for Ghana. And uh, you can see in Group I, where Ghana is placed, Mali is also in there, Madagascar is in there, Central African Republic is in there, and Comoros is also in there alongside Chad. Now, there's also Group A, Group B, Group C, Group D, all the way to H alongside I, and we'll go through all of that. But this is Ghana's group, and these are uh, the countries Ghana have to beat and top the group to qualify for the 2026 World Cup. However, if they're unable to top the group, there is still an opportunity for them to qualify to the 2026 World Cup. Now, joining me in studio is Daniel Crantino you know, by George Sports Dex, and he's been following this draw, and he's here to help us appreciate the qualifying process of this 2026 World Cup. Yeah, so... Um, the Black Stars of Ghana, as you said, are in yeah. Group I. Um, the standard thing is that the various, there are nine groups of six teams mm. in Africa. Uh, Africa have automatic nine or nine automatic spots at the next World Cup. You know, it's been increased okay. because of the, the increase in numbers of teams that will be heading to the 2026 uh, World Cup in USA, Mexico, and then Canada. Mm. So you need to top your group in order to get an automatic qualification group. However, if you don't top, if you are part of the best four runners up in the continent, you go into a mini competition within Africa, that's the best top four, mm -hmm. and then you play a competition, a mini competition, the winner of that will then enter another uh, playoff final between another country from a different zone, mm -hmm. and then the winner will join um, in the World Cup. So, so there are two, two qualifying yeah, two rounds, qualifying actually. Rounds. One, you have to top your group, top your group. where you're playing uh, five other countries five in other that group. It's in the home and away. Yes, days. and in the event that you're unable to top your group, but however you come second, yeah. compared to all other teams that came second in their in group. In the nine other groups. In their nine other groups. Yeah. And then you get to be part of a four that's the four best second runners-ups. The best runners-ups. Yes, in, in Africa. Africa. So they are paid in the a tournament. A mini tournaments. <laughs> then the winner of that mini tournament uh -huh. will then go outside Africa to take on... A playoff. Play a playoff. Play with, yes, with another uh, country from another zone. That's, a, that's a tour order. 
very tall very and tall very order. hectic so the basic thing is just finish top of your group just finish top of just your finish group. top now if, if if you look at ghana we have mali in there we've played mali before um ghana, uh, madagascar we played them before of course central african republic we have comoros we have and chad is the only country that ghana is yet to have a competitive game against let me just get your quick thoughts away from the process for uh, as far as qualification is concerned to the group that we are seeing now yeah. Does Ghana stand a chance if you consider our current form? Of course, we'll be joined on the phone by former Black Stars player Ajiman Bedu pretty shortly, but let me just get your quick thoughts on this group. Do we stand a chance to qualify? Um, if this was five, ten years ago, this would have been a simple task for the Black Stars. But as you said, considering our current form, this is an extremely difficult group. We are talking about a Madagascar and Central African Republic who we are currently um, in the same AFCON group. Yep. We fail to beat them away from home. And as you mentioned... In the AFCON draw, you have to finish in the top two in order to get automatic qualification. Mm. And that, even that one, we are heading to the last day to be able to secure our qualification. In this one, you need to top the group. Mm. And that's why it becomes very difficult. And we all know the importance of uh, home form when it comes to African football. So if you're able to get some good points away, mm. um, it, it, will help your, it will help your cause. So we've struggled in recent times against Madagascar, failed to beat them. Um, away from whom we feel to beat Central Africa Republic away from whom Comoros beat us in the AFCON to deny us a place in the round of 16. Mm. Mali have been a very difficult opponent for Ghana across board, be it under 17, under 20, under 23. Mali have been extremely difficult for Ghana to beat. I think Chad is the only team there that Ghana doesn't necessarily have a, a recent history with. But mm. when you look at it on paper, you expect the Black Stars to qualify. But I say, again, uh, considering our current form, um, <laughs> It will be very difficult. It will be very difficult when you consider Ghana's current form uh, over there. Well, let's uh, try and speak to one man who has been in this very uh, situation before. He's played qualifying, World Cup qualifying games with the Black Stars. They even played at the World Cup itself. So you quite appreciate what it means, uh, the situation that the current crop of Black Stars players find themselves in. And it's the man, Emmanuel Ajibambedu, former Black Stars midfielder, and also was part of the under-20 team that won the World Cup in 2009. Uh, Imanol thank you very much if you have joined us. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on Prime Sports tonight. Uh, great. If, if you can hear me, uh, legend. I mean, yeah, I, can, I can hear you perfectly. Wonderful. You've seen the group. Let me get your first thoughts on, you know, the, the group that Ghana find itself in as far as the qual qualification for next World Cup is concerned. Well, thank you very much. Um, I think... Um, uh, on paper, it's manageable, but a bit tricky as well. Uh, a bit tricky to the extent that uh, nowadays football has predicted. Uh, on the field, you need to do a lot. Uh, and nowadays, paper doesn't work anymore in modern football. So it's manageable and a bit tricky. Looking at the group or the countries you are going to face for the past three years, apart from Chad. You have played all the countries, and you know them, they know us. Um, October 2020, we had a clinic game against Mali. You were beating 3-0. January 2022, we also what happened against Comoros in the African Cup of Nations. We lost 3-2 to them. June 2022, as well, Central African Republic was 1-1-0. And June 2023, against Madagascar, it was draw. So it means um, for this five countries, uh, the results were not that good for us. It wasn't favorable. So 
That's why I say management is very tricky. So we need to work hard, come together as a country, and pray that yeah, our boys will get good free season, injury free, and get good play, uh, playing time so that we can tackle the game. But look at them, I think, tricky but manageable. Well, I mean, of course, we've seen the performance of the Black Stars in the recent AFCON qualifiers. Um, it hasn't particularly been impressive. If it was, they would have qualified by now. Uh, do you think um, that performance possibly will give some boost to all the other countries in our group, that Ghana is possibly not the Ghana that, you know, has always known to be? So uh, they will possibly fancy a win, picking all points against Ghana. So in going to face these countries... We shouldn't be complacent at all. Well, um, this is qualified. You can't be complacent. Uh, my you, we have six countries, and one is qualifying. We have, we have Mali there, which everybody knows their strength. So you can't be complacent. Yes, they have a very good result against us. Yes, we are struggling at this to qualify, but this is Ghana. Once things trigger and we turn to the right side, you know what we can do. We have all the quality. That's why I said the most important thing right now it's not about the GSA, it's not about the coaches, it's about my colleagues, that is the players. They need to have a very good precision in the three and have a good playing time. So that when they are coming, they can be staff, they can be ready for third game. Because the group we are in, if, if we don't do things well, it might cause disaster to us. It's very tricky and very manageable, but a bit dangerous as well. Looking at some of the... Um, the call lines have gotten against us. It will give them a, a bit of boost of confidence. But this is Ghana. Uh, when it comes to qualifying like this, you will struggle, struggle, but whatever it is, you will qualify. So I'm very confident. Well, uh, management, we appreciate your time uh, this evening. And of course, we hope that the Black Stars will do what is necessary to qualify. That's the management, the former Black Stars. And mind you, we don't need to concentrate only on the footballers. This okay. kind of game, you know where the work has been going on. Mm -hmm. The of most of 10 years. It's in their hands as well, because in America, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, legend, thanks very much for your time. We appreciate oh, it. Thank you very much. We thank appreciate you. it. Then also we've heard from the legend. He says that Ghana should not be complacent. Let me get your final words on this. Yeah, extremely. Look, it's, it's, it's going to be extremely tough. And as he said, on paper, it's supposed to be manageable. But if we do things right, I don't see a reason why the Black Stars cannot um, qualify for the 2026 uh, World Cup. It's really important that we do. And I still believe that this team has enough quality. They have a very good technical bench that can sail us through if we do the right things. Mm. If we do the right things. Well, some of you have been speaking on social media, reacting to this very, uh, you know, qualifying group that Ghana find itself in. We'll bring you, we'll share those comments with you pretty shortly. But let's hear from uh, former Black Stars captain Asamajan, who was at the, uh, you know, draw. And uh, he was also quite optimistic that Ghana will qualify. I think um, since 2006, um, when we qualify for the first time to 2022. Um, I think we have been very consistent except in 2018 that we didn't qualify. And um, it looks like we are getting used to the World Cup right now. And um, 2026 is not going to be easy. Expectation is high back home. But um, we will try our possible best to make sure we also qualify. So let's hear from you on Twitter.
is going to get your reactions some of you have been expressing optimism and you can see this uh augustine mensa he said 2026 i'm going to america and this lion uh, he said if we can qualify then we need to win okay so augustine mensa 2026 i'm going to america so we must do everything possible for us to qualify and obiba jk he said we were seriously praying for a group like this no disrespect to other counterparts though and trap events he says the stars will qualify though uh, of course people are talking about mali but they finally would say to blake canute diara they couldn't uh, now uh, not know and with chris Eaton, an experienced coach inside group if he can't qualify then the team should be disbanded and, and sack himself is that will qualify but not easy and another comment down there says very tough group we have over there and um, so uh, that's a few comments on twitter but let's take a look at uh, the full draw uh, starting from group a and uh, b c d and then we'll head to nigeria and kenya to get some reaction after this draw so group a we have egypt burkina faso guinea bissau Sierra Leone, ethiopia and djibouti in group b we have senegal congo mauritania togo sudan and south sudan and in group c that's where Nigeria is, alongside South Africa, Benin, Zimbabwe, Rwanda, and Lesotho. And of course, we'll be getting some reaction from a Nigerian journalist pretty shortly. But then, when you go to the other group in D, in E, in F, and in G, just look at that. Cameroon, Cabo Verde, Angola, Libya, Eswatini, Mauritius. Then in group E, you have Morocco, Zambia, Congo, Tanzania, Niger, and Eritrea. Then in group F, that's where you find Cote d'Ivoire, you find Gabon, and you find Kenya, the Gambia, Burundi, and Seychelles. And of course, we'll be getting some reaction from our Kenyan counterpart also on this one. Group G is Algeria, Guinea, Uganda, Mozambique, Botswana, Somalia. Then in Group H, Tunisia, Equatorial Guinea, Namibia, Malawi, Liberia, Sao Tome, and Principe. And of course, Group I, where Ghana, Mali, Madagascar, Central African Republic, and Comoros, likewise, Chad are in there so let's get to nigeria now and get some reaction from nigerian brothers relative to this draw how the country has been receiving it and we are joined by deji uh, sports journalist based in nigeria and of course uh, just also mentioned that eric injuru also joins us all the way from kenya to get some reaction guys thanks for making time with us here on joy news and in ghana but let me start with you uh, deji in nigeria of course we've seen your group very interesting group there uh, alongside South Africa and Benin. I mean, how have the reaction been in Nigeria after this draw? I mean, of course, because of Ghana, you couldn't make it to the last World Cup, but there's a fine opportunity for you without Ghana. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me this evening. Um, I mean, it, it was met with mixed reactions, really, and that was because of the nexus we have with the Republic. And um, the former Super Eagles coach that took us to the last World Cup in 2018, um, now manages the Spurs of the Republic. And um, immediately Nigerians felt the vengeance there. And for the um, Republic, we've always had a good record against them. They are neighbors, uh, but in the 14 times we've met them, we've won 12 times and just drawn twice. But I mean, with Genetro, he's a master when it comes to qualifying. Uh, but definitely in terms of personnel, in terms of quality, the Super Eagles trumps them in all aspects. Then the South Africans come into the fray. Um, supposedly they have this imaginary rivalry with Nigeria, uh, but on paper it's always not the same. Um, we have a 
better head-to-head record than South Africa. In fact, they've not scored against us again in qualifiers in the last four matches. The last time we met them in a competitive game was at the AFCON in 2019 in Egypt, where we beat them in the quarterfinals. And it's literally been a roller coaster for the Super Eagles then. But the Super Eagles we have now on Powerful Pesero has not been flying. And um, Nigerians have been scared and worried. Um, we lost to Serie Lone in Nigeria during the Afghan qualifiers for Cote d'Ivoire next year. Um, we struggled um, in the, the game against Lesotho. Um, um, so it's, it's, it's obvious that the bot language is not so good. And teams like South Africa as well as Benin Republic. Macy's one-day sale starts tomorrow with deals of the day on the perfect wardrobe updates and home finds. Like 40 to 60% off summer styles she'll love. Up to 40% off her favorite shoes, handbags, and wallets. And 35 to 70% off bedding and bath featuring hotel collection and more. Plus get contact-free curbside pickup or pick up in store today. Details at macy's.com slash pickup. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Want to capitalize on that, mm. but I mean, after losing out to Ghana and pass for the pass for the World Cup, um, it's almost seemed like a bet right for Nigerians. The last time we failed to qualify for the World Cup was in 2006, and the then NFF president Ibrahim Daladima had to resign. Um, Majukini did not resign after Ghana beat Nigeria, but transition uh, with um, Ibrahim Koso, they know that the mandate is to qualify uh, for the World Cup in the United States and Mexico. Mm, interesting. Eric, let me come to you now. And, uh, and of course, I know uh, Kenya will be looking to represent, you know, be at the walk for the very first time. And just looking at your group, not so sure how that was received back in Kenya. How was it received, Eric? Well, listen, you know, when we speak World Cup in Kenya, it's, it's let's say, it's a long dream. I mean, we've not been a consistent team in the Cup of Nations. So going for the World Cup, obviously, it's a it's a long process for us, but I mean, guys are excited about this. We're coming back with it to football because Kenya has been suspended by FIFA in the last two to three years, and now this will be our first competition since COVID time, yes. And we've seen the draw today. There were mixed reaction guys saying that we need to turn up, we need to show that we can do something. I mean, the key thing for this country is targeting to qualify for the Cup of Nations in 2025 because we're not taking part in this year's Cup of Nations, mm. but I think... Realistically speaking, we don't have a chance to go to the World Cup. Listen, we're playing Ivory Coast, we're playing Gabon, we're playing the Gambia. I mean, you've seen the Gambia the last couple of months. They are the young teams that they've been doing the under 23s and 18s and 19s. So, I mean, for me, I would want my team to cover the World Cup, but I can tell you, we really don't have facilities to do that. I think it will be exciting games. That's coming into Nairobi, Ivory Coast. I mean, that's like Gabon. We. We support, like, we watch the Premier League here in Kenya, so guys are excited to see this stuff coming back, mm. and people are happy to go to the stadium once again. So for us, I think it's more of, like, seeing what your team can do. But I don't think many people expect our team to qualify for the World Cup, so we'll be trying to do our best for this one. Um, guys, I have to let you go, but let me get a quick comment, maybe in 30 seconds from each of you. With the exception of the groups that uh, your country found themselves in, any other group that interested you when you saw the, uh, the you know, the parents? Let me start with you, Eric. Well, I think I can look at the group. I think the group for groups, there is Nigeria and South Africa. It's it's interesting. Remember the last World Cup, South Africa and Ghana, they went all the way to the playoffs and South Africa lost. Obviously, they have had a few issues to do the referee on there, but it, it will be interesting to see how Nigerians and South Africans go head to head. I know they still have another chance to go through the playoffs, but I think this one will be a good one. Like I've seen Julius Bauer saying, this will be the Afrobeats and the Amapiano Derby.
<laughs> Interesting there. Well, Deji, let me come to you. With the exception of the group Nigeria find itself, any other group that interests you, really? I mean, I like the group of um, Egypt in Group A. Um, I mean, we know they are not um, fantastic when it comes to qualifying, mm. um, especially for the World Cup. They have a very terrible record, uh, despite uh, dominating Africa in terms of the nation's cup. I feel Burkina Faso have got some young stars uh, that are um, evolving from their junior level to the senior level, and they can cause a bit of upset for Egypt. So uh, it's one group that certainly interests me. Well, guys, thanks very much for your time. And, of course, we'll see when the qualifiers start in November. We'll see how uh, all the themes fare. And uh, we wish your respective countries the very best. Now, uh, the GFA Disciplinary Committee has handed a one-year ban to assistant referee Patrick Papala after he disallowed a 90-minute goal by Hatterfolk in a Ghana Premier League game against RTU at the Crass Sports Stadium. Now, according to the committee, the goal was correctly scored with a scoreline possibly ending 2-2 instead of the 2-1 which went in favor of Real Tumble United. However, some football enthusiasts on social media think the ban was too harsh because the incident was too close to call. First of all, let's see the incident and get to you some reaction from social media because of this very um, incident. Salif Ibrahim, it takes the wicked deflection, bare feet, but the flag is up for offside. It won't count. The flag was up. Flag was up. Took a deflection off. So, where was the offside? Not too sure about this being an offside. Consultations ongoing. What is he telling Bastios? By the centre referee. The assistant referee has now been banned for one year. There are those who say uh, that the, the, the call was very close and it possibly will take a VR for you to get it clearly. And you can see some of the comments on social media. Ahin Asamwa. Uh, he says it's harsh since the new offside rule applicable here is new and they probably were not trained on it i thought it was an offside when it happened but the deflection from the defender placed all the offside players on according to the new rule and this one also says too harsh and uh, that's abdul baki adamu i think in matters of this nature the refs must reason uh, uh reason must be made public so we understand his reasoning those are some comment on social media quite very mixed comment there some thinking that it was a good decision to ban him i don't think it was harsh and uh, just a little update from the Wimbledon and its own Jabert, who produced a superb comeback to beat Arena Sabalenka and set up a Wimbledon women's singles final against unseeded Czech Maketa von Drusova. Jabert's hopes were slipping away at a set and 4-2 behind, but she rode a wave of momentum and Russia's support to win 6-7, 6-4, 6-3 and reach a second successive final at the championships. It means uh, there will be a new Wimbledon and Grand Slam champion on Saturday. Vondrasova ended Ukrainian Alina Sivotolina run by winning 6-3, 6-3. She's the first unseeded player to reach the women's Wimbledon singles final in the Open era. And of course, uh, Tunisia Chabert, the sixth seed, was beaten in last year's final by Alina Rybakina and was widely supported by the center court crowd throughout one of the best matches of the tournament so far. 
Well, the games continue at the Wimbledon tomorrow with Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz all featuring in their respective semi-final game to see who makes it to the final of the Wimbledon. That's all we have for you on Prime Sports tonight. With me, Rosak Musbao. Have a lovely evening. Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.